Since 1972, Braun Industries has been a custom ambulance manufacturer focused on safety, quality, and innovation. Each Braun module is unique well beyond the chassis it's built on. With six ambulance models, limitless features, and all customizable options, let Braun assist you in designing the perfect custom ambulance to suit your needs. Learn more at www.braunambulances.com. Is your fire department prepared to face challenges like the turbulent economy, recruiting and retention, and funding? Level up and get the training and strategies you need on the issues that matter most at Wave 2023. Featuring ESO Training Academy on April 11th through the 14th, 2023 in Austin, Texas. ESO, a leading provider of fire RMS and EPCR software, brings together national industry leaders, quality training, and experienced fire and EMS professionals for a unique conference experience that will inspire you to drive change within your organization and prepare for 2023's challenges. For a limited time, our listeners can use the discount code FIRETRUCK to save $100 on a full four-day conference pass. Don't miss this opportunity to learn from some of the nation's top experts in emergency services. Visit ESOWave.com to register today. That's E-S-O-W-A-V-E.com. See you in Austin on April 11th through the 14th, 2023. This podcast is brought to you by Flex 7 from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. Like a trusted turnout jacket you've had for years, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric delivers a perfectly broken-in feel on the very first wear. Flexible, comfortable, empowered with the strength of enforced technology, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric is made to move. To learn more, visit tenkatafabrics.com slash flex7. Flex 7, powered by Enforced Technology, only from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. Hello there and welcome to Fire Engineering Blog Talk Radio in this installment of the Professional Volunteer Fire Department, the podcast dedicated to our great volunteer fire service, and getting all of our listeners to embrace the message that developing and displaying and maintaining a professional image and reputation are the duty and responsibility of all firefighters. And recognizing that true professionalism is defined not by any paycheck. Tom Merrill here, so glad to have you listening to this latest episode. And I'm talking to you a little differently this time. My leg is in a cast. I have it propped up in front of me on a stool. Had some work done. Uh, nothing unexpected. It was scheduled. I uh, had to have some bone spurs removed. The doctor actually said he removed enough bone spurs to fill a small gumball machine and also had some ligament damage, which is interesting. He said, you know, Tom, looking at your MRIs and x-rays, I could tell that you uh, tore your ligaments and both your legs, both your ankles, probably 40 years ago when you were a kid. And you did what most baby boomers did. You ignored it. And your parents probably told you to walk it off. And it was fine for 40 or 45 years. But now, after all these years of running and things back in May, my legs really started hurting. I had it checked out. And the doc said, yeah, you got to get in for a tune-up. So welcome to 60. Uh, Turned 60 in January. And boom, here I go. First surgery of my life. But I'm doing well. I timed it perfectly 
to fit between some presentations. I was away last week at the Pinsky Law Conference at the Turning Stone Casino doing a nice conference there with some great people. And my next one will be FDIC at the end of April. So I gave myself a good chunk of time there to uh, hopefully heal up and be ready for the great FDIC conference, which as you know, we talked about it every uh, last several months on the show, will be in Indianapolis from April 24th to the 29th. And I certainly hope to see you there. There, um, Gonna be doing a classroom session this year, an hour and 45 minute class. It's gonna be on Wednesday, April 26th at 10.30 a.m., right after the big opening session. And I certainly hope I can see you there. Gonna be a little different format than my normal four-hour presentation, which I've done the last nine or 10 years. The four-hour class delves into a wide range of topics that covers the wide spectrum that is the fire department, the administrative side, the fire medic and line officer side, the department as a whole, and things also that you, the individual firefighter, can do to help mold and keep your professional, uh, professional operation running in your department. And in this year's class, it's still titled the Professional Volunteer Fire Department, but we're going to concentrate on the things that you can do personally to earn and maintain that professional image, that professional reputation. It's going to be a fast-paced, highly interactive program. It's going to fit nicely into that hour and 45-minute time slot, and it's really going to truly examine what it means to be a professional in the volunteer fire service. Sometimes it's too easy to get distracted or fall back on excuses when we're not properly engaged in our organizations or we're failing to deliver the expected level of service that our communities need and expect. We're too quick to blame others. We're too quick to blame our department or some other outside force, but we often fail to give ourselves the proper size up. So this is the class aimed directly at you, and it concentrates on the things that you have direct personal control over to make you a better trained and more productive firefighter and member in your hometown volunteer fire department. Regardless of your department's limitations, the issues facing your department, the number of calls you go on, you, the individual firefighter, can certainly still exemplify true, true professionalism in all that you say and do. So that's what the class is going to be about. I hope you can make it there. I hope you can make it to FDIC. And if you do, I certainly welcome the opportunity to meet with you and talk with you and talk about what it means to be a professional firefighter serving in a professional volunteer department. So again, hope to see you in my class on Wednesday, the 26th. I know there's a ton of classes to choose from. I know you might not make it over to mine and that's fine. There's so many good ones out there. And I know you won't be disappointed with any of the classes that you choose to attend. And we can certainly meet up and chat at the many networking opportunities and after hour events, which again is just another one of the great things about FDIC and the great FDIC experience. So if you can plan on coming out to Indy, FDIC, April 24th to the 29th. I was hoping my book was going to be released at FDIC, but it appears uh, the Professional Volunteer Fire Department book will not be released by then. That's okay. It's still going to happen. It's just a process. Still hoping for a 2023 release. Been working really hard with my editors over at Fire Engineering Books and Videos, Chris Barton and Mark Howe and Tony Quinn and all the other talented and helpful professionals over at Fire Engineering Books and Videos. They've been helping me every step of the way. And we are going to get this book released, the Professional Volunteer Fire Department. And I will keep you updated on that. So we're going to do one more episode on this 
podcast focusing on the volunteer fire department training drill. Now, as you may be aware, we have spent the beginning of 2023 focusing on training and just how important it is in the volunteer fire, in the fire service, right? Not just the volunteer fire service, but it's so important. And as true professionals, we should embrace that idea. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. And I've gotten a lot of feedback. I've gotten a lot of emails and questions from listeners regarding the programs we've done on training. And that's not surprising because in my experience, training or the lack of it or poor training programs or unqualified instructors or pretty much anything training related has generated a lot of discussion and a lot of feedback and opinions and complaints as well as compliments about training back home. And as I said before, out of all the articles I've written in my professional volunteer fire department series for fire engineering, which is close to 40 parts now, the one article that generated the most feedback was the one I did focusing on the volunteer fire department training drill. People have a lot to say about it. They have a lot of questions, they have a lot of concerns, and they generally really do want to improve the training back home. So that's why I've spent so much uh, time here early in the 2023, 2023 year focusing on training in the volunteer fire service. And we've had some very talented professional firefighters come on and share their insights on the importance of training and what it means to put together a training program in the volunteer firehouse, a good training program, that is. Back in January, if you remember, uh, Chief John Buckman and Brian McQueen were on. They discussed the recently released booklet, uh, Training Volunteer Firefighters to Be Combat Ready, which was released through a coordinated effort of the National Volunteer Fire Council and the International Association of Fire Chiefs volunteer and combination officer section, as well as the International Association of Fire Service Instructors. They really spent some time talking about this booklet and diving into it and all it offered, all it offers to help make training programs better. So if you haven't had a chance, please go back and listen to the January episode and listen to what they have to say. And then last month, we had Chief Dave McGlynn on. He uh, discussed what it takes to be a good training officer. Certainly, that's an important topic. And if you haven't had a chance to go back, listen to that one. Because in the volunteer fire departments, we often elect, yes, elect an officer and simply assign drills to them and say, okay, start running a drill. Okay, Lieutenant, I know you just won the election last week, but I need a drill by next Wednesday on nozzles or ventilation or whatever, right? So Chief McGlynn came on, <clears throat> excuse me, and he talked about how to be better prepared for the important role in the volunteer fire department of putting training drills together and becoming a training officer. And he was certainly well credentialed to do that as Chief McGlynn is the operations chief and training officer for the Letterkenny Fire and Emergency Services Department in Pennsylvania. So if you haven't had a chance, please go back and listen to that. And tonight, no different. We have another A-lister on board. I'm so happy to have Deputy Chief Joe Netter on. He's another FDIC instructor. In fact, last year, he was the winner of the FDIC Instructor of the Year Award, which is a great honor and so deserving. And he's here with us today to offer his insights about the importance of training and information on putting the, and offer some information on putting together a training program in the volunteer fire service that meets today's needs. He's currently serving as the deputy chief of training in the Menden, Massachusetts Fire Department. He joined our great fire service back in 1977. 
And I've sat in on his classes, and I can tell you, he is most definitely a very passionate and inspirational instructor, and he is all about training. Back in the 90s, he became an instructor for the Massachusetts, Massachusetts Fire Academy. He helped develop and implement a Firefighter 1 and 2 program for volunteers and on-call firefighters. And folks, he gets us. He started out on a small rural volunteer fire company, again, back in 1977. So not only has he been around the block a bit, but he understands the needs, the limitations, the challenges that are faced by us in the volunteer fire service. But more importantly, even with the challenges being faced in our volunteer ranks, and we know there's many, he's a strong advocate for training and training needs to continue on. So I'm so happy to invite him on to the show. Chief, are you with me? Welcome to the show. Glad to have you here. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Thank you for the kind words. <clears throat> uh, I appreciate them very, very much. And I'm honored to be a part of your program. Well, we're honored to have you here and appreciate you making the time. I know you got a big storm heading your way and some other personal commitments. So thank you so much for, for agreeing to come on. And what I like to do, Chief, with all my guests is just get a little feel for where you come from in the fire service. I mentioned you joined in 77. So what's your fire service journey? If you could walk us through that a little bit, did you have family in the fire service? Yeah, like the first no. generation. First generation. Um, <clears throat> the way it got going is we had moved into this small community and uh, we met some people that we became friendly with. And next thing I know, the guys are saying, Hey, you know, you should join the, the fire department. I said, you know, well, thank you, but whatever. <laughs> they kept encouraging me. So finally, they brought me one night to a drill. And I, I fell in love with it. Uh, we're talking now April 2nd, 1977. Uh, the apparatus, their frontline piece was a 1965 Ford F750, 750 pump with one pre-connect line and uh, 750 gallons of water. It was a two-door cab, and it was a five-speed. And for those of you who are probably born in the 90s or later, five-speed meant it was a clutch, and you had to manually shift. What? <laughs> I know, really, though. So I got involved, but I fell in love with it. And within a year, I realized that there was so much more I could learn. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't a bad department, but it, it, it wasn't very progressive. I think it's the right word to put. So I'm, I'm talking with friends in other departments. And they're telling me, what about this? Did you do this? Did you hear about this? So I started not only taking, continued, I missed, I made every drill if I was in town, but I started going outside of my department and taking drills. And departments around us offered th things and the State Fire Academy offered things. And I became addicted to it, Tommy. I became absolutely addicted to it. Uh, there was a period in time where I thought I might want to be a, a career firefighter, but that kind of fell by the wayside because I had a very good job in, in corporate world and I was I was making a good living. So I decided I could have the best of both worlds. I did that for some years and then we moved uh, the Southern Worcester County here to the town of Oxbridge where I joined. And by the way, in the small town, I had risen to the rank of training officer and captain. Uh, when I moved down here, I was on my own. I had left the State Fire Academy as an instructor, worked for them for 15, 16 years, and I, I wanted to strike out. And when I came down here, I told the chief, because everybody knew me, um, 
I was not interested in anything but a nail to hang my my helmet on and go to calls. And, and everyone loved it. I wasn't trying to be a, uh, a carpet bagger or anything. So in the years I served down here, I was, uh, I was uh, assigned to the ladder company and that was it. And I'll tell you what, they, we went to a hell of a lot of fires between our, our town and mutual aid. And that's what I was looking for. But as all that was going on, I started, I had already started rather my own training company. To me, you said it, everything to me comes back to the word training, everything. Um, and off I went, I got involved initially with rapid intervention. That became my big passion. Uh, in December 3rd, 1999, six firefighters died in the, the city of Worcester at the cold storage warehouse fire. Mm -hmm. Right after that, uh, our state fire marshal at the time, a gentleman by the name of Cohen, he, he was he was approached and people were saying, Marshal, we've got to get rapid intervention training going here. So they did some networking and they found out the top trainers in the country with two guys named uh, uh, Bobby Hoff and Ricky Colomay out of Chicago. Yeah. They were all over the U.S. Well, we brought them in numerous times. Um, I became very personal friends with them, and it, 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 it lit a fire under me, like I've never had a fire lit, uh, lit. So I became a major advocate for rapid intervention, and off I went. So here I am on my own, and I'm doing uh, RIT training, I'm doing everything, but it really came back to focusing on the small departments, on call, combination, volunteer. And the reason was, in all my years and all my experience, I realized that all the programs out there, and I'm not trying to offend anybody, are one size fits all. And Joe Netter cannot be compared to a Chicago firefighter. I don't fight a fire on the 50th floor. Okay, I, I don't go to a block with 11 or 12 brownstones all attached to each other. I go to different fires. We go to draft a lot of times. We draft out of bags. We relay water. All the things they don't necessarily do in a city. And that became my focus. My focus became dealing and putting together programs that would benefit I continued when I retired. I retired from Oxbridge because... I had two incidents in a one-week period, both on very hot, hot, humid days. And um, it, the first one took me two days to recover. The second one took me almost four days to recover. And I was pretty hydrated, but I just physically couldn't do it. And when I, I told my chief at the time, Bill Kessler, uh, that I was retiring, no one believed me. <laughs> no fact, way. My, I gave him the date, my last meeting. And um, I got up my last meeting and the meeting was over and I started walking out and Bill came running up to me, Joe, 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 are you really retiring? I said, yeah, chief, this is it. I'll bring the gear tomorrow. And uh, then they brought me back in the room and they had me tell stories and how I started and all that. So even though I was retired, I was out all the time training and training and training and FDIC and writing. And I wrote my, my first book I wrote was on rapid intervention. Uh, for Jones and Bartlett. It's a great textbook. And it continued. So long story short, a few years later, Chief Kessler leaves the town of Oxbridge and is brought into the town of Menden, Mass., a small department. Menden had been devastated 
because for 15 years, they had the police chief running the department. They lost 60 to 70% of their membership. It was, wow. it was horrid. And Bill was brought in to fix it. So he called me up and he said, you know, hello and all that. And he said, you're my second call. Paused. I didn't know what was going on. I said, well, great. Who's my first? Who was your first? He goes, my wife. Okay. What were you calling me second for? He says, congratulations. You're my new deputy chief of training in the town <laughs> <laughs> so off we went and I, I'm very proud to say that in the few years we've been there I think it's three or maybe three years, four years I can't even remember now it's become a very admired fire department small, but we've turned it around these guys are great, they can do the job we're getting added to more run cards almost monthly and that's the greatest honor, I think, any department in its capabilities. What what type of department is that? Is that career combination? Department? Combination. Combination. And uh, but it's small. The community is like six thousand people, and we have six career firefighters plus a chief, and um, uh, and then I think it's like 15, 14 on call members. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. and and we and we kick ass. We really do. If you, Good. Oh, that's awesome. You know, it's amazing. You know, go back to how you got involved in the fire service. You were asked. And again, for my listeners, we've talked about that so many times, right? You know, we put a lot of resources, a lot of money in that and fancy ideas in the recruitment. And sometimes the simplest thing is, hey, just ask a friend or a neighbor. And, yeah, <laughs> you know, sure. and it's one of the greatest recruitment tools there is. And I also found it ironic that your first day there or when you got hooked, they took you to a training drill. How ironic Absolutely. that, you know, you're so involved in training and that's one of the first things you experienced yep. in the yep. fire service, which. Yep. 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 So Tommy, one of the things I, I love about your program and you is uh, you, you always not, we, we hadn't met personally until uh, shortly ago. Right. So your articles about the professional volunteer fire department, the professional list. And I'm, I'm laughing and going, I'm looking around my office going, where's the spy camera? <laughs> or you should be looking around yours maybe. But yeah. one of the things I like to do, and I, I'd like to piggyback on what you're doing here, is when I go out and I, early in my program, if I'm working with a small department, volunteer or combination, I always ask these words. Hey, folks, tell me, are you only a volunteer? Oh, drives me nuts. And they always me emphasize too. only or you just. Bet. Are yeah. you just a volunteer? Yeah. Oh. And we tell the story about when we were young. They go, oh, you're fine. Well, I'm only a volunteer. And it's it's fighting words. It, it infuriates me. Yes. So yes. what I then ask, what I then uh, present to them is the definition of the word professional. And this is from Webster's. One who has achieved competence in a particular field. Doesn't say anything about affiliation. It doesn't say anything about career volunteer. Right. There's nothing. It says, "Can you do your job with competence?" Boom. Safety. You bet. So, Boom. so then I teach them this line. So as I go through my class, please remember, you're not only volunteers, but firefighters who serve our communities in a professional manner with professional attitudes and skills. And that's the basis of every class. I teach and I know uh, with you also. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, excuse me, I talk about those definitions as well. And then inevitably someone will raise their hand and they'll find a definition that does have the word paycheck in there or something. I'm like, okay, fine. I'm not going to argue that. 
But let's concentrate as volunteers on all the other parts of the definition that we can apply to ourselves, doing mm-hmm. a job well, treating people nicely. And the other thing I like, I've been saying lately, and um, going off topic slightly here, but it's while well, I'm on my mind, it's on my mind. Folks, we are living in such a nasty world today. I've talked about it on this show. It's a mean-spirited world. Even some of the things I watched, my wife made me watch the Academy Awards last night. <laughs> and some of the things that I see in there where there's just no respect for people. Um, it, it, and I won't even get into what I witnessed, but I'm just, my point is, let firefighters show the world that they're still nice, good people in the world. Let us be the nice, good guy, the, the nice guys and gals, the good gals and guys. You know, let's show the world by treating people respectfully, treating each other respectfully doing our job well and competently and um, remind the world, hey, there's a lot of good people still in it and a lot of them are wearing the Maltese cross. Yeah, absolutely. Great words, Tom. Great words, great words. So as I said, I spent a lot of time early this year in 2023 with my programs focusing on training in the volunteer fire service. And I did attend your class last year as well um, at FDIC, training as a way to reduce risk in the volunteer fire department, which we'll get into that. Took a lot of notes as well, um, but I also made a note to get you onto this show because you have so much <laughs> great information to share. So, but before I get into your class, yeah, in your experience, Chief, why do you think we struggle in the volunteer fire service with training? Why why do we just sometimes really have a hard time delivering good training, getting people to go to training? What's your thoughts on that? Well, I'm going to ramble a little bit. That's okay, Chief. So. One of the things when I talk about training, I'm giving a class and it involves training. I always like to start off with uh, three questions. The question, first question is, if I walked in on your company or your department drill unannounced in a given moment, what would I see? Is everyone participating? Are they capable? Did you start on time? All of those things. If I turned around and I could solicit members privately and say to them, what do you think of your department's training? I'm not going to tell anybody. What would they tell me? It's good. It's bad. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's horrid. It's the same old, same old. It's nothing new. We're not progressing. Uh, these guys who training don't know what they what they're doing. And the third question I ask is, what do you really truly think as a firefighter or as a chief officer of your department's training? We need to be honest when we ask these questions. So that goes to the to your question. The, our problem is multifold, okay? The first problem is I think back to when I started. Okay, I got a few years, I got more than a few years on Utah. <laughs> started, it was... We'd go out, we'd pump water, we'd drag a line, we'd squirt the water out of the hose, we'd put on SCBAs and all that. But it was nothing like it is today. The fires were nowhere near as dangerous as they are today. So though we would say we have a drill, most of them really weren't. This is in the very beginning, very intense, if you will. I remember we brought in a guy one time, the department did, who was, uh, and I'll never forget his name, his name was, Joe Jarvis. He was a legend in our area, and he had what he called the Minuteman Firefighting Academy. Uh, and he came in and started teaching us the, the real methods and stretch lines, throw ladders, and all that. So 
eyes open. <clears throat> but then I started watching it and, and it was very social. And I really want to emphasize that. And we stayed our numbers, but then things started to change generationally. And that brings us to here. And what do we have today? Uh, either you're, you're, you're a strong earner or you have two jobs. Either both, both uh, spouses typically have jobs. And, you know, when I was a kid, I played uh, uh, baseball. And when it was night for baseball or practice, I got on my bike and rode five miles and, base and played baseball. We don't do that today. Not faulting anyone, but probably afraid someone's going to kidnap the kid on the bike. Um, but today, mom and dad are so involved in sports, dance. My little grandson's in ninja class. I have and no baseball idea. oftentimes means you're traveling for travel baseball. That's a whole nother side of things. Travel oh, yeah. Sports. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it goes on and on and on. So mom and dad don't have a lot of extra time. But our departments, so not all, but so many of them are still running their training like they did before. They might think they've modernized, but they really haven't. Olden days, olden days, we'd get together. The training officer would say, what, what do you guys want to do tonight? I don't know. What do you want to do tonight? I don't know. Okay, let's go pump water or let's let's practice SCBAs. It wasn't super organized. The other thing I would see is we'd say, Dr drill is at, pick a time, 6.30. Those who, who could, they're at 6.30. And then they'd wait and wait and wait. And sometimes till 7.15 for more people to show up. Today... I keep telling my students, quit wasting my time. I have, I, get, I have to read these because I need to. Okay, again, and I teach this in so many of my classes because everything overlaps, everything, everything, everything overlaps the training. My training tenants are very simple. It needs to be punctual. It needs to be safe. It needs to be pertinent and applicable, consistent with accepted practices and to the point. On top of that, the instructors need to know what they're doing, not by standing around with a book open so they can go step one, step two, but they can, they know what they're doing. And secondly, there's an old saying I was taught by Ricky and Bobby in Chicago. If you can't show it, you don't know it. Hmm. How can I teach a drill on throwing a 24-foot ladder if I can't do it as a young man? You have, have, we need our officers to be able to do the drill physically. So we take all this and it comes back to how do we, how do we get people to come to training? Number one, I think, again, we need to show we're going to be punctual. We want to start on time. We're going to go 630 to 830. Start on time, end on time. Hey, mom and dad, I'm not going to waste your time. Okay. You're going to come. You're going to learn. Number two. Let's make it that we're really doing stuff. We're, um, we're scheduled. We're not, what do you want to do? It, it's, it's worthwhile. It's a combination of in the winter, we do a lot of inside stuff. A lot of lectures, that's where I fill in, like fire behavior and reading smoke. I, I will question a lot of departments, when was the last time you had an in-depth drill on fire behavior? reading smoke, including modern fire behavior. 
And a lot of them say, well, when I took my one, two, and a lot, some of them will say last week, well, when was it before that? Well, five years ago. How can we be competent firefighters knowing the dangers that we face today, the ferociousness of the fire, the unpredictabilities of the fire, if we're not taking a fire behavior reading smoke class refresher once a year, once a year, okay? Keep up, you know, ask them conduction convection uh, uh, radiation. And when you, you, you it, and they do the, they talk about the pictures in the stupid book. And I mean stupid, guy holding a pipe for conduction. So I actually asked when they had a fire travel by conduction, some kid told me in the class, dead serious, through the pipes, okay? <laughs> so then I put up radiation in the pictures in the textbook, a guy warming his hands by a, a campfire. That's not how it travels in a burning building. And then you ask convection. And you'll either get someone who memorized the definition or crickets. And the guy who memorized it, I say, well, explain that to me in terms that I can understand in a burning building. They can't. And then we, what they don't realize is the number one way fire travels in that building is by convection. And that's why we have to know this. And it's the basics. It's yeah. the basics. So I'm, I'm rambling a bit. No, but- you know, it's funny you mentioned. So some of it is the basics and some of it is out there hands-on. If you can't show it, you don't know it. I love yeah. that idea. But then some of it is classroom type, such yeah. as convection, conduction, things like that, and explaining it in a way that's easy to understand. Yeah. Um, one of the knocks today, and I'd like to get your take on this, is today's younger firefighter, um, they're not, they don't like to sit there, um, like we did, you know, and listen right. to an instructor for two and two and a half hours. And one issue I'm seeing, and I don't know if you have a way to solve it, or maybe you just let them do it is the cell phone issue where you're up there teaching and all they're doing is scrolling their phone. Yep. And, um, but there's important information such as you just described that we've got to get to them. And I don't know if there's another way to do it. So how do we get them to sit there and listen or to try and get them to be engaged and focused and stay off their phone during that class? Okay. So I've seen that, but I'm proud to say I usually do not see that. Now I'm jinxing myself because I'm doing a big program in a, a week from Saturday for the Mass Fire Academy uh, on managing risk. So anyone who's watching now, we'll all get out their phones. <laughs> but I hope not. Here's what I found in my experience. If you are a great instructor, not instructor, teacher, a teacher inspires, teachers inspire, instructors tell you step one, step two, step three. You got to be inspirational, which I'm told. You have to be enthusiastic. I always tell my students, enthusiasm is contagious get out and do your job inspire them know what you're talking about be a better presenter you usually can capture the audience and you'll you'll always find one or two that might not but i find that when i'm when i uh what is joe netter unplugged as a couple of my friends like to call it um i don't lose the audience at all um, at all and that's that's important because so the first thing is look at yourself as an instructor are you, do you mumble are you afraid to speak why should they if you're reading if you're reading to them that's not going to motivate them uh, I, I interjected with i ask questions overhead questions uh, i try and draw in the students 
I'm careful on the questions because if you have a two hour time limit, you gotta be careful, okay? You have to, you know, it's a compromise. Um, people tell me that today, I, I, I attended a, a, a program a while ago and it was very, very interesting to me. And they were talking about today's learners and all that. And you know, at this point in my life, it's difficult for me to learn a lot of this new stuff, but I'm trying. And they were talking about things like uh, building a Jeopardy game. And then there was another game they talk about. I can't remember the name of it, that all the kids like, to, the young people like to play. Uh, do group activities. Do this, do that. Um, and that's great. Yeah. But if you've got a given amount of time and a given amount of information, we've, we've got to make our people realize that unless you want to sit here for another hour, I, I got to convey this. And this is this is a matter of your life and death. And look around to the life and death of all the people around you if you can't do your job. Right. We're paramilitary to some degree. Uh, but I make it fun. You know, um, I didn't tell, tell you my, oh, the sixth training tenet, which I didn't read, is fun. Fun. Make my classes fun. I, say some funny things i make jokes um uh sometimes I'll, I'll i'll joke about myself um sometimes i'll pick on a okay i'll ask a question okay um who can tell me what the, i'll make this up tommy who can tell me what the definition of the word convection is no sir you with the phone put the phone down i see you scrolling can you tell me yeah. and laughs yeah you get them involved i get them involved. You know? And, and we need yeah. to involve them and and we yeah we, and um the other thing is when you're teaching hand skills tom we need i, I we have to get away from this one and done okay well, let me just tell you i don't even know where you're going with this but my observation is on a training night you have 20 firefighters there with one or two officers leading the drill yeah and they usually take the newest people because they're eager to learn or maybe it's yep. just because they don't know to say no. And they'll yep. do the skill with them and then they'll look up, okay, everybody got that? Okay, and then move yep. on to the other yep. station. Is that where you're going? Or <laughs> I am. And, and, and I'll take it another step uh, higher. Sometimes we have offices who have been offices for life, okay? And um, they can't do the drill. Okay, They physically can't do it anymore. They forgot how to. So you go... Hey Cap, hey Lieutenant, you want to you want to take them to? No, I'm all set. I've done it a million times. Yep. Is there a way to do that gracefully so we don't embarrass them? Because yes. that could then be a demotivator. Because it could be a senior member too. I've seen that. Might not yes. be enough. Could be a senior member, someone that people yes. look up to. Maybe even someone like me, a former chief, who maybe did know the skill back in the day, and now I catch him off guard. Oh, Chief Merrill, you remember doing this, right? Can you show him? And now I'm caught off guard. I'm embarrassed. And if it's not handled the right way, I might not come to drill next week because of that. Right. So a lot of times what I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll engage you days before. Right. Meeting or something. Say, hey, guys, gals, I'm going to ask everyone to do it. And let's go back to what an officer is. In Joe's book, well, there's two things. The first thing is he has to be uh, uh, passionate about the job. Okay. But the second thing is he has to be a leader. And a leader is all the things we can define, but one of the things a leader is, is someone who can step up and lead the way. 
and leading the way is I can throw that ladder. I can advance that line. I can climb the aerial. I can put an air pack on. Let me show you because mm -hmm. I do it when you're on my company. Right. And, and, and it's hard. Okay. But it's all oh. young man's game. We're not in the land of make-believe, as I like to say, and we're not yeah. wearing costumes. It's the real deal. So yeah. um, I yeah. like what you said, too, about being enthusiastic and how enthusiasm is contagious. And what I used to like to tell people, because so many times in the volunteer fire service, we just assume when they become an officer, they know how to try on a drill. And yep. that's not anything could be further you know. from the truth. So what I did, what worked for me is going to FDIC or maybe companies don't have the budget for FDIC, but any conference learn from the good instructors that you're training under take those good traits back home and yeah. polish them up yourself what do you yep. like about that what do you like about joe netter and how he teaches well he engages me he's enthusiastic great you do that back home now because nothing could put people off more and maybe make them not go to next week's drill than being completely bored and unengaged or how about this one I know you guys all know how to do this. I know you gals have done this before. So we'll just, uh, it's kind of boring, but we have to do it. I mean, what a great start to a drill when an instructor says something like that. I know. Very it's, it's very demotivating, but they think it's the right. Oh, my favorite is, look, it, I know none of us like it, but the chief told me I had to do it. Exactly. That. Or I know it's <laughs> the annual safety training. It's a bunch of yeah. BS, but we got to just, we just got to get through this. <laughs> yeah, that's a little famous one. Absolutely. Oh, my God. Oh, gosh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. So we, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so we're talking again about training as a way to reduce risk in the volunteer yes. fire department. You've covered some great nuggets there. Um, your tenants about, you know, are you participating or standing around? Are you starting on time? Can the instructor do the drill? Are officers doing the drill? Anything else in uh, in your thought process there on doing these things on the training ground to help reduce risk in the volunteer fire department? Yeah. What, the first thing we have to realize is, uh, um, one of my early questions we talk about risk is what's risk, you know, and then we 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 get into these textbook de definitions, NFPA standard, and nothing against NFPA, but stuff's written by attorneys, nothing against attorneys either, and we can't understand it. I mean, you have to, my favorite story about an attorney, great guy, helped me a lot, was I was in a business contract. And I was trying to break it to get out to move to another company. And I read the non-compete clause about 12 times. And I didn't think I could get out. And I said to him, could you read this? He read it once and says, yeah, this is breakable. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, 12 times. No, it's absolutely breakable. It has to do with positioning of the words and the commas or something like that. Okay, that's what this is. We don't understand it. Our problem when it comes to beginning, what is risk? Risk is some risk is something that can uh, uh, cause us harm or death. That's what risk is. And what is what's controlling risk? It's it's uh, um, uh, it's managing the risk to limit or avoid the uh, uh, the opportunity of death or or injury. Okay, very very basic stuff. Everyone can understand that. So. Go back to why don't we, why, why do we avoid risk? Uh, excuse me, why do we avoid training on risk and understanding risk? Two things, complacency and complexity. Complacency, that's the way we do it here, as I said so. All those other things that we've heard. And they're usually grounded in, the, in, uh, in this basic thing. 
the people who are telling you this don't understand anything about risk at all. Why? Because you go then to complexity. And if they try to study risk, you know, you're, you're working on a master's or a PhD degree to understand half of what this is. I get in trouble by saying I don't pay any attention to community risk. That's not really true, but I pay attention to our risk as firefighters first. Okay. And then mm -hmm. the department should, the man, management department should focus on community risk and the, and the, uh, um, the complexity, read some of the standards, read them. There's one, uh, uh, I, I'm not going to read it to you, but th these words stick in my head. Uh, uh, risk, I think it was risk control. And these terms are in there. And contractual transfer techniques. Quote, contractual transfer techniques. What the hell is that to right. firefighters? <laughs> I know. Okay, that's Johnny shows up and we see Johnny. I gave him an assignment, but when he shows up, I see who he really is. He's not capable. So I turn around and I say, Chief Merrill, replace Johnny with Mary. She can do the job. The, the attorneys are right this. When I make a verbal contract with you, it's a contract. I give you an order. That's a contract in legalese. So by seeing I can't do the job, they're going to they're going to transfer uh, the contract to someone else. So now we have a contractual tech transfer technique that all the chief officers and incident commanders need to understand. Ha, ha, ha. Give me a break. <laughs> so th that's where we go. Now, once they begin to understand risk, there's, there's um, two things they got to remember to begin with. The first one is um, line of duty deaths. I researched a lot of them when I was writing this book, a lot. It was very, very ir irritating. And the number one NIOSH uh, um, target, not target, number one uh, uh, not, uh, on the NIOSH list for uh, cause or lack of, lack of risk management. Okay, lack of risk management, number one. And again, that goes back to why. We don't understand it. Why? Because it's never been presented to us in a manner that we can understand. Boom, right there. I think if you say, we're going to have a drill tonight on risk management, I think some yep. people would be home looking at the page coming over, the text coming over. Well, maybe I'll stay home. I don't know what, it almost sounds complicated. It might, I hate to say it sounds it boring. It so is. how do we make that sexy it up a little? God, can yep. I say that in 2023? How do we make it more exciting for the member, right? And yeah. I imagine that's a challenge. It, it was. But it's so important because, it, let, it, me it, it, let me read a Let me read a let me read a quote here from Please. you, Joe, and um, it uh, it sums it up so well about risk. You know, you say as volunteers, we truly put a lot on the line every time we respond. Not only are we at risk, but so are our families. Yep. We face death or serious injury and our families face the loss of our income as well as emotional trauma. The thought of leaving our family survival to the generosity of the community should for all of us be terrifying. Because of this, we need to be even more aware of the risks we take and work to minimize them. Boom. So if you're going to do a drill on it, start with that, right? Did I did I really write that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the book of Joe Netter. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. And you know, what's, it, what's interesting is when I sat down and I started writing this book, I would give chapters to a couple of my friends. And just say, what do you think? 
and basically the same comment came back in different words, but it's what I wanted to hear. And it was this, Joe, this is like sitting at your kitchen table and we're having a cup of coffee or a beer or something. And you're talking to us. This isn't like we would expect from a textbook. And that, that was what I want. I wanted this book to be easy to read, and easy to understand. Mm -hmm. and that, that up front, we talk about all this other stuff, but the, the two big things that stuck out to me, three big things, okay, was number one, I, I studied, I looked at and, and analyzed 527 volunteer and on-call deaths. Of those 527, 299, 99, I'm gonna give the wrong number. No, excuse me, of the 527, 23%, 23% of the 527 died while responding. They didn't even get to the fire and they were dead. Frightened me. The second thing that frightened me was then I said, okay, cause of death. The cause of death isn't uh, the crash or falling through the floor or whatever it might be. Physical cause of death of the 527, 299 died of heart attacks. It's for 54% roughly. Heart attacks. So then I blamed it on all the fire police because they're all old guys, okay? And they're out there and they're dying directed traffic. Oh, was I ever wrong. I broke it down. And if you will allow me to round up or down by one or two points only 20 to 40 20 that was 24 percent for uh 41 to 50 25 percent 50 to 60 25 percent 60 to 80 61 to 80 25 percent so it was even across the board even yeah even so don't tell me joe netter it's the old people how can a watch it a 20 year old kid be dying of a heart attack and you're seeing it I know you did your study yeah. it, last year alone. I think you're going to see more numbers with the it, it's, but yes, the, yes. The, yeah, it's not going down. Yeah. yeah. So, as I dug into the book, I, I started, okay, everything. And one of the things I pulled out of the standard was it told us we should have a, uh, a management system for managing risk at an emergency scene. So I started looking them up and. Um, Doesn't NFPA mandate that? Yeah, it does. Risk management? Does. Yes, it does. It says you have the management system. They give you one, but to digress just a moment, when I I have a program I called uh, First Do, uh, the 10 Foundation Stones of Company Offices, Things They Need to Know. And one of them was, as I put it together, free the book, was a, a section on risk management, which I knew nothing about. So I drew all this stuff and I put together a, a, an hour, hour and a half program on risk management. And I'd go out and my other, my other nine subjects were good. When I did risk management, it stunk. <laughs> I, even understand. It's, I was embarrassed when I would teach it. I, so that's really what got me going in this direction because I wanted to do a better job. So I, going back on track here with the steps, I found things that were five steps, six steps, seven steps, eight steps. It was insane. And I didn't really understand them. So I looked at them all and I looked at this and I looked at that. And I came up with, I said, I'm going to make my own steps. And I came up with four steps. Easy to use, simple to remember. Uh, and the way I present it in the book is really, it's all about firefighting. And it's all about doing your job. 
the steps are simply number one, we need to develop situational awareness. What's situational, you know, situational awareness? We things are we use it every day. And it, situational awareness on the fire ground is pretty easy. Okay. What do I got? Where's it going? What do I gotta do to stop it? Okay. That I learned that back in the early 80s from guys who were fighting a lot, chief officers, unfortunately all deceased now, uh, old timers they were. They were in the late 60s and early 70s at this time. And they came off of departments that saw a lot of fire. That They drilled that into my head. And I don't care if we're going to a 800 square foot ranch or a three-story brick ordinary construction. It's the same thing. What do I got? Where's it going? What do I got to do to stop it? Yeah. So situational awareness. Then the, so once you've developed that, you can go into your other, other steps. So the other steps are you're beginning to identify what are the dangers and the risks that I see and how do they affect us? What do I see now? What did I see on arrival? How has it changed? What is happening? What are the dangers? Uh, a good ex two good examples that you need to make sure you do a 360. One would be, we're looking at the front of the building, we haven't done a 360, and we it's ripping fire, and we we find out from our 360, there's two 250 propane tanks on the uh, CD, Ooh. okay? Is that a danger or a risk? Yes. Is it an immediate? Don't know. Where's the fire? But that's identifying potential dangers and risk. The other one I like to give an example of is we look at the house and we get put the company in and they're working and all of a sudden you got a company screaming they found the they found a victim or they're calling a mayday and they need a ladder to the Charlie side, uh, second story, second floor. And the Brit company goes trotting around with a 24-foot ladder because that's what they'll bring. And they find out it's a walkout basement. Now what? 24 isn't a good. They could say, well, it probably would reach or get that you needed a 28 or a 35. So this is why we up front need to do that 360 recon and identify dangers and risks. And a three and a uh, a two-story with a walkout is a danger to us if we don't know it's there. I don't know it's there, right? Yeah. And then the third step is how do you control these things? And and we get I really get into the um, in, into the roots with this, and, and I talk about are we adequately adequately prepared? It goes back to training. Do we know what what do I need? What do I need for this fire? What do I have now? What do I need to call? Um, water supply. I always use that as something, how do I control it? Have I, what's my water supply? If I got a ripping fire and we're in the middle of the woods uh, and it's all tanker shuttle, did your first alarm start three or four or five tankers automatically? Or do we wait till we get there and see the building is half gone, so now we'll call for more tankers? Water supply is a critical, critical element. But we're afraid. I'm afraid to call your fire department and then have to turn around when we get there and realize we don't need you and call you up and say, Chief, we don't need tankers, but thanks anyways. And I'm afraid you're going to turn around and say, next time they need a tanker, we're not going to send them away. No, this should be mutual aiding because think if we, I'm not talking regionalization, but if we share resources automatically, okay, automatically, I'm going to come to you, you're going to come to me. And if it's a false alarm, we all go to false alarms all the time. So, 
we get into all of that and, and controlling it. Are people uh, adequately protected? The gear, the, the uh, 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 thing that drives me nuts is SCBAs, okay? Because you get in the rigging, you'll look. And, and pretty much everyone is 4.5 today, 4,500. You'll see the bottles filled 39, 40, 41. It's not full. 4,500 is full. Well, you know, it's 4,500. We're backing it off a little bit so the bottle doesn't blow up. Those things are rated for a lot more yeah. than 4,500. I want a full bottle. Yep. I'm a down firefighter. I want every breath of air. And if Absolutely. You're a kid. You want to make sure I have every breath of air. Absolutely. Talk about the hose lines. What line did you pull? Did you even look at the fire? Bad habit. Pull up and someone's yanking that inch and three quarter and run into the fire. Maybe the fire requires a two and a half initially. Maybe the fire requires a blitz gun initially. Why did you pull that inch and three quarter? Well, that's what we do. But why? But that's what we do. That's what we always do, Joe. Pause. What do you got? Where's it going? How do you control it? What do I need? Do I have the skills? Do my people? Do the people? If we pull up and we have a rescue, and I talk about rescues, and I I talk about search, but let me just comment this on rescue. We're going to make a rescue, whether it's a writ rescue or a civilian rescue. You're the incident commander, chief. Are the People standing in front of you right now, not 10 minutes away, right now, capable of getting in, affecting the rescue, and getting out alive. And so many times the answer is either no or they don't want to admit it. They say, oh, I'm not sure. So, and, and then you have the survivability profile. But back to the rescue. What's the basis of a good rescue? The search. What's our search training like? And it's not good for most of us. Let's look in the textbooks. And I, I, I make fun of this all, in every one of my presentations now. I show the pictures of the cartoons where one guy crawling along, touching the wall, and the other guy holding his ankle. Yeah. How many, how many 10 by 10 or 10 by 12 bedrooms can you do with that? Or the guy behind him, not holding his ankle, but following him. Or going through with me, uh, I'm on the wall and you're on my outside. None of that is reality, but that's how we're teaching our students to teach per the textbook. And then I show pictures of all these bedrooms I've amassed from my friends and my own grandchildren. And good luck even getting one person <laughs> with all the stuff. But the point is, we're training our people wrong. So let's do training in the files. What do we do, Tom? Okay, guys, we're going to search for the baby doll. She's somewhere up in the training room. Okay, you guys ready? Yep, okay. Two things. Put your hoods on backwards and do not go on air. And my hair catches fire when I hear that. Number one, I'm teaching you to wear your gear wrong. Because when they take this and that, you, how many times have you seen a guy forget his hood and he's trying to tuck it in and there's a lot of skin, it can burn. Secondly, nowhere. Why aren't we training them on air? One answer. Because we have to fill the bottles later. Mm. But isn't every skill we do more difficult on air? Yeah. So what are we teaching? You're not teaching the skill. You're teaching them not to use air to save the bottle filling. And then when they go upstairs, we all memorize the firehouse. They go up, they find the baby doll, even though they had the hood on backwards. They report, they do all the stuff. They come out in the 
just bumping and high-fiving think they made a dramatic rescue. What did they learn? Nothing. Nothing. They learned what they taught is I've memorized the firehouse. <laughs> so, you know, this is all part of risk management because you're committing people to do skills that perhaps, to do, not skills, excuse me. Yeah, to do something, okay, take an order and, and execute a tactic that they're not properly trained on, but we think they are. And, the, yeah. and kicking butt and training right, you will reduce risk. Interesting. So I just want to take a second and remind the listeners that they're listening to Fire Engineering uh, Blog Talk Radio and this episode of the Professional Volunteer Fire Department. Thanks for listening in this evening. Uh, joining me is Chief Joe Netter, who was last year's winner at FDIC. He was the 2022 FDIC Training Instructor of the Year Award winner. And he's the Deputy Training Chief of the Menden, Massachusetts Fire Department. We're talking all things training and how training can help reduce risk for volunteer fire departments. And we've delved a little bit into risk management in the volunteer fire service as well. And if I remember correctly, you got into risk management as you started training more and focusing on training. Um, I believe you said that as you were training volunteers, you became aware of first how important risk management was to firefighters, especially as volunteers, and second, how little time is spent on that subject. So yes, I appreciate you taking some time opening our eyes to that. Um, so again, risk management doesn't have to be anything crazy. It's not rocket science. You're saying it's ongoing fire ground situational awareness, identifying dangers and risks. How do you control or eliminate those dangers and risks? And then an ongoing evaluation of what is happening. And that includes what's happening back home in your training drill as well, as the That's chief right. just mentioned. Chief, do you think, is there is it more dangerous today on the fire ground? Are risks a little different in this absolutely. era than they were? Where yeah, they, are absolutely. they? Okay. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the best way I can describe to people, especially the old timers, Okay, we don't need all that. You don't need that. You know, I didn't need it. Question one, when Joe first went, okay, but besides riding the rear step, um, I wore a cotton duck coat, a tin helmet with no, uh, the air flaps, we thought they were for winter, so we cut them out, okay, <laughs> and uh, pull up boots. And the boots only came up if it was a real big job or it was summer and you were wearing shorts and you pulled the boots up to protect your legs. Remember doing that. You bet. Okay. And the gloves came from the hardware store. And we could go in, fight the fire, come back out, change bottles and go right back in. There is videos out there showing today's fires versus grandma's house fire. And you'll see that the flashover today is two, three, four minutes into it. Whereas the flashover in grandma's house uh, was uh, almost 30 minutes into it. The fires today, we can, we, so many of us have, have argued the point that they are, they are class B fires. Everything in that building is made of plastic, except the structure, of course. But furniture, stuffed with foam, synthetic material covering it. The rugs are not wool anymore. They're synthetic. So much of the furniture is not wood. It's synthetic or it's covered by a laminate. Uh, everything is plastic and it's going to burn hotter than Hades. It's going to flash over faster than you could ever imagine. And we're sticking people into these buildings 
that are uneducated to the dangers and the risks that they face that door and someone yell and the black smoke is pushing out and someone's yelling get in there get in there find the fire we're venting but we shouldn't be venting venting should have venting should always be controlled and systematic controlled by the ic and systematic and what did we do tom 30 40 years ago when we got there <laughs> if it was glass we broke it broke it <laughs> yeah, because we were taught rightly so with the initial fires that were all class a product natural fibers and stuff we would lift the smoke and it'd be better for the victims today when we break that glass what are we doing we're, we're creating another flow path we're introducing a lot more fresh air full of oxygen enriched uh stuff okay and we're lighting up the fires we're, we're making the fires worse today by by doing it and then you have the freelancers and there's a lot of videos out there of freelancing and, and and some of them have killed firefighters and the freelancing i'm referring to is the people who run around breaking glass today because they don't know any better back to education training this, yeah job has never been more dangerous uh ever 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 these fires i would venture to say are burning at least twice as hot as they were at least as as they were when i started yeah yeah Sure. And, and as you mentioned, too, um, when we talked the other day, informally, you mentioned, and I wrote it down, when we talk about risk, it's not all the firefighting. You mentioned heart attacks. You mentioned uh, driving, right? Yeah. And you yeah. had some important things to say about, you know, let's reduce risk from that nasty C word that's everywhere, right? Yeah. Cancer. Yeah, and yeah. I'd like you to talk a little bit about that. So anything to do with our health, we've always ignored. We always have. Okay. And... um you, you know, I, I remember going to the uh, FDIC. This year will be my uh, 26th FDIC in a row, uh, except for the year that we canceled for COVID. But I was going, and then it just got transferred. And some years ago, I saw a booth that said the Firefighter, Firefighter Cancer Support Network. So I stopped, and I talked with them, and I took some stuff, and nice people doing a very, very useful job. What, what it was aimed at and continues to aim at, and it's a good aim, okay, I'm not saying anything, nothing negative, all positive, is, okay, Johnny or Mary, you now have cancer. You can, you can call these people, and, um, and they will help you, and they will help you to do the best you can to get through the cancer. So with that said, a few years ago, um, an old family friend, a guy by the name of Jim Coughlin, uh, businessman, industrialist, nothing to do with firefighting, lost a friend to cancer, young man. And he started, because there's some physicians in his family, he did start doing some research. And they found out a lot of people are getting diagnosed with cancer between the ages of 15 and 40. And they had no idea. So he started then what he called the 1540. Uh, and then they began, as they doing this, they realized that there's an organization called the fire service that has a very high rate of cancer, higher rate than the average person. So he did an offshoot of it and they renamed the organization detect together. Okay. And, uh, um, I got a phone call and they asked me to come in 
and give them some thoughts, which I did. And they will, um, and then I've got, I, I actually sit on their fire service advisory board. And what Detect Together is all about is teaching us early warning signs of potential cancer. So if they, they, they talk about, uh, um, I, I got to look at this. I got to look at my notes, okay? If we catch it, for instance, because I can't remember all these numbers. If we catch skin cancer, very, very early stage, your, your uh, cure percentage, 99. Catch it, distant uh, uh, stage four, 30%. Thyroid, nearly 100% catch it early, 75% uh, uh, <clears throat> chance of not making it. In stage four, um, prostate, ninety nine percent. Yeah, get 30%. It goes on and on and on. And to reach the fire service, and I'll, I'll give you the website in a moment again. Um, to reach the fire service, they first created all of these um, programs, videos you can, uh, excuse me, PowerPoints and things like that. If you go to their website, detecttogether.org. You can watch all these for free. All the services, Tom, all the services are free, free. And it will tell us how to detect this. They talk about what's your, what's your, what's your good. Okay. And then they talk about if you have a two week period where you're not hitting your good, maybe you need to go to the doctor. They give us little cards that you can hand to your physician. Hey doc, I'm a firefighter. <clears throat> Blah, blah, blah. Here's all the cancers that I have a higher rate of than the average civilian. Uh, from there, they went and they put together, and uh, and everyone gets mad because I always forget Jason's last name. The guy who does the funny uh, uh, fire. Oh, yeah. Jason, yeah, okay. They've, they've put together videos with him that are hysterical but they tie into what we do. And it's, it's kind of ties into the, uh, um, to the size up of what we do as a firefighter. Which is part of risk management. You bet. And it's part of taking care of yourself. I would urge everyone listening to go online, detect together, all one word, dot org. If you're a training officer, there are things you can go through your people with. If you're regional to our area, reach out to them. Um, they they send people out that will do a class for your department. They've trained Boston. They've trained New York. I know that they've been out in Chicago, San Francisco. I think they've been in St. Louis. They go all, all around. And what my job has been to hammer on them that 70% of the fire service is volunteer. And we're trying to reach the volunteers. Okay, and anyone has any ideas on how better to do that? We're all ears, but we're talking to a lot of people. They will be, uh, they will be presenting at the FDIC, and um, I, I think you know that gets into the, you know, we're focusing on training, we're focusing on risk management. Yeah, and talking about this organization really applies to both. I mean, here's another training topic. It's something that should yes. be reviewed. It's yes. something we need to sit down and talk to our members about and make them aware. It's also very scary. And I always yes, tell it, you know, I, I kind of joke about it. I mean, in a cruel way, it's 
just making levity of a cruel situation. But I mean, what a what a great recruitment tool, right? Join the volunteer fire department and get cancer. But yeah. here's what it reminded me of. So this past weekend, last weekend, prior to my surgery, I was away at the Pinsky Law Conference. And Attorney Pinsky, who has a fire engineering podcast, he does a very good conference at the Turning Stone Casino. And he told this story about a member that joined a volunteer fire department who was a former Marine. Well, I guess once a Marine, always a Marine. So he was a Marine. He had not one, but two master's degrees. And he wanted to give back to his community. And he was a combat Marine too. So he had been in some shit. And he ended up quitting his volunteer fire department after a short time because of the training or lack of. And Pinsky, Attorney Pinsky, Chief Pinsky said, so well, people want to feel safe in any organization that they belong yep. to. Yep. Now, this isn't the land of make-believe, as I said earlier. This isn't the Cub Scouts. It's not the Girl Scouts. No disrespect at all to those organizations. This is volunteering for an organization that you can die in. Any given moment, the bell can go off and you might not come home. Mm -hmm. And I'll talk about the Buffalo situation at the end of the podcast here. But anyway, here's a firefighter who joins as combat Marine, master's degrees, intelligent, strong as an ox, wants to give back to his community, and he quits because of a lack of training, and he yep. didn't feel safe. So yep. that takes me back to the beginning of how important training is. Cancer's part of that. Cancer's scary, but mm -hmm. showing your people that you're going to try and do the best you possibly can to take care of them and provide them a safe, safe working environment. And you do that through training, hands-on proficient training, as well as educational training about risk analysis and cancer prevention and things you like bet. that, right? Spot on, Chief. Spot on. Mm. You know, so, so let me go back to the beginning mm -hmm. where we really started talking about training. And I'm going to have a, give some words of advice. I'm a young officer in the volunteer fire department. I'm charged with running a couple drills a year. What advice to that young officer? As far as putting together training programs. Yeah, just off the top of my head. And first one is being a little bit, I don't mean what I'm about to say. Kiss, kiss the wife and kids goodbye. Okay. <laughs> You're going to be at the firehouse a lot, but not That's really. true. Yeah. Or the husband and kids today. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But so what I tell them is first off, I always ask them, how did you become an officer? How did you become an officer? It, it, every place we go is different. Around here, uh, it can be elected or it can be appointed. If it's appointed, did you have, were there uh, um, qualifications? Did you meet the qualifications? Did you have to take an assessment center? All of this different stuff, okay? And I always ask, okay, now, if you were elected, were the qualifications? Did you meet them? And we go through all that because the officer should be a very highly skilled firefighter to start with. No doubt. No doubt. The second thing I tell them is, um, I'm trying to remember this quote, rank is is not power, it's authority. Your job is, number one job as an officer, Joe's opinion, is to protect my company. Okay? That's my number one job. Get you in, get you out alive. Number two job is to execute 
the tactic we've been assigned. Uh, number three job is to train your company. But your job is not to be authoritative to me. I'm the lieutenant now. You're going to, you know, and all this. It's gone to their head. It's gone to their head big time. You can't. The, the next thing is, congratulations, new lieutenant or new captain or new chief officer. You don't know everything. You've got to set an example. Get out there and learn. Don't, it's, firefighting is global. It's not my little community. It's not. We got to be taking classes, out, whether your state academy, your, your county academies, uh, your neighboring fire departments, uh, going to conferences, FDIC, like I told you, not the get, get out of your own bubble, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Okay, and learn and learn and learn. Set an example, but don't forget your family. Um, out in Missouri, uh, this guy named Tracy Gray for the Missouri. Uh, yep fire service up there phenomenal human being and uh i was speaking out there i was doing something about uh, uh recruitment plus training equals retention and he, he started it introducing me and he told the students always remember as you listen to to, to uh to joe here the four priorities are faith family friends and firehouse now, you can mix that up all you want but firehouse should always be last because you when there's nothing left in life for you. You have your family. Okay. And we have to remember that our family comes ahead of the firehouse. But if your family does come ahead of the firehouse, what will probably and hopefully get you home every single time? Your training. It, Tom, it's everything we talk about, everything goes back to training. It, 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 you bring up any subject. As it regards firefighting, it I'll bring it back to training. Everything, everything, and it never, ever ends. So if now I'm that young officer and I'm putting together a training drill, what are some of the must-dos? You mentioned earlier about being punctual, being organized. Mm -hmm. What do you want to tell that young officer or any officer, a training officer, whoever? You're putting mm -hmm. a presentation, you're putting a drill together, you're in charge of training in your volunteer firehouse, here's three or four or five must-dos to get people at your training sessions okay. or to at least present a yeah. better drill presentation. Okay. So first of all, a quote. There was a friend of mine. I haven't talked to him in a few years because he retired lieutenant out of Chicago. He moved up to Wisconsin, and he, his uh, passion is fishing. Okay, His name is Pat Lynch, Lieutenant Pat Lynch. Phenomenal firefighter, rode on squad five for many years. Everybody in Chicago knew Pat because he was the epitome of a phenomenal uh, lieutenant. Pat taught me this from the day I met him. We need to teach our people to execute the basics to the fullest. Now, with that said, and I love that. I love that term. I'm okay. writing it down. <laughs> yeah, please do. And... You're now the training officer. What do we want to focus on? Well, step one, I would say to you, is why don't you take a look at how your departments operate on a fire ground? Take past events and analyze it in your own mind. Okay, what are we strong at? What are we weak at? I would then tell you, I would focus on, what do we like to do, Chief? What do we like to do? Hands-on. Hands-on, get dirty, get smelly, crawl around. That's what we like. I would focus on 
three things right, right off the bat, unless it's the middle of the winter. SCBA. Now, let's talk about that. Back it up. Okay, well, I know how to put an SCB on, SCBA on. Do you? Where are your SCBAs in the seat? So when do you put it on? Question. It goes back to safety. Are you trying to put it on while you're going down the road with the rest of your gear without a seatbelt? Number one. Number two, if you put it on inside there, where you're getting out and bending over and trying to bring it up high on your hips and tightening the waist strap. The other thing I like to do is I make a game of this. I do donning drills. Now people go, we don't need donning drills anymore, Joe. No one uses a suitcase. No one. Okay. But if you're in rehab and all of a sudden you're called up, can you, how quick can you don it? Or the Joe Netter drill I do, and I call it my RIT, R-I-T drill. Now you're in New York, you're going to call it a fast drill. <laughs> NFPA is going to call it a RIC drill. Uh, but I don't care what the hell you call it as long as you have the drill. I teach a drill where I'm standing around. Company ready. Company ready. Whether you're RIT or you're an engine company or a lot of company. So we're standing around waiting for an assignment. All our gear is on. Helmets on our head. SCBA is on our back, not turned on, so we don't have to listen to the pass device, waiting for an order. And all of a sudden, you get the order. Well, it folds into two things. Number one, studies have been done to show the weakest link of the chain to get the RIT company in the building is getting to the front door ready to go geared up. It takes too long. I've developed a drill that I give my companies 20 seconds from when I say go, that they can take off the helmet, if it's cold, pull down their hood, put their mask on, seal it, pull up their hood, put the helmet on, do their chin strap, get their gloves on, ready to go. They can hold the regulator in their hand. The other hand can be reaching around to turn the bottle on. I don't care about that because you got 10, 15, 20 steps to the building, but are you ready to go? 20 seconds. And when we do it, no one really hits 20 seconds. Over a period of time, it becomes a badge of honor. And I either, I like to usually start or end every drill with that. Second thing I would tell the training officer is, let's go to ladders. How often do we throw ladders? How many people does it take to throw a 24? You tell me two, I'm going to go, yeah, if you're, if you're a wuss, okay? One, I'm the pump operator. They break out the glass and scream and we need a ladder. I got a victim. What do you do? I'm a pump operator. Get the ladder off the truck in a one one firefighter raise. Are you throwing 28s? Two people? I got I got animals and I call them animals and they love it. They can throw 35 by themselves, a, a two section. And do your ladder drills. But let's make it realistic because remember, as the new officer, they're all gonna moan and groan. We gotta do ladders again, we gotta do air pack. Make it challenging, make them work. When they say that. Don't go, yeah, I know, I know. Well, exactly. just the chief wanted to do it again. Yeah. No, be fired yeah. up, be passionate, yeah. be you energetic bet. about it. And every drill have an air pack on their back because you throw ladders on fire ground. What's on your back? Your SCBA. Okay. And then the third thing is getting them to really learn to handle the hose lines. And I, I guarantee you, some of your listeners will agree with this. I come and you're teaching your people uh, flowing water from an inch and three quarter. You got the nozzle man. And you got three firefighters behind them all standing up holding the line. What do they learn? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Where are we when we're operating for the most part? Supposed to be on our hands and knees. It doesn't take four firefighters. Two is great. 
Three is even better, especially if you have to go to the second floor. Drill them, drill them, drill them. Start them off air, then put them on air. And then the, um, and, and that's to the water, okay? And we, we got to start teaching, get them out there, work them hard, let them go. Good drill. What did you guys think of drill? Yeah, yeah, it was really, really good. I really, uh, okay. You want to do more of this? Yeah. Try and incorporate basics into every drill that you do. Sometimes I'll do ladders. And a weakness there is they don't know how to carry anyone down a ladder. Why? Didn't you learn it in school? Well, we didn't have a building where we could put someone out a window. So if we have an emergency, how are you going to carry me down? We got we to gotta step up. Teach them to be the best firefighters they can be. And before you can do that, you have to be the best you can be. Awesome. Awesome. And if I, I get the ramble on, that's okay. Great advice, Joe, as always. I hope listeners, I know I have pages and notes. I'm sure listeners do as well. <laughs> what about for that firefighter who's not going to drill? One of the things in the volunteer fire service, you only got to make so many drills. You know, some yeah. companies have really good strict training standards. You got to make, you know, at least one drill a month. Some it's all your life member. You only got to go to three or four drills. Uh, what do we get, how do we get those people to re-engage? I, I know part of it is if they see people are having fun right and learning, they might be more inclined to come down on a drill night and see what's yeah. going on. But how do yeah. we get them involved without again, I'm 60. I had my first surgery. You mentioned your body was telling you, hey, it's mm -hmm. time. In the volunteer fire service, we still have a lot of 60, 70-year-old members, 55, 50-year-old right. members. How do we get them coming and say, hey, there's still a place for you? We still okay. want you here because yeah. everyone brings value or can bring value. 100% agree. The way, the way I think about it is this. Um, number one, I believe, I personally believe, and this is the very controversial question, uh, mandatory X amount of hours or, or drills. Absolutely, I believe in mandatory training. You can't be 100%. We all know that. I believe in it. And people say they're going to quit. And my answer is, who? The ones who never come to drill anyways? And that's a fair question. The older, if you will, the older, or shall we call them more senior members of the department, sometimes they avoid drill because they've done enough of it or they really don't want to get on their hands and knees and crawl up, climb up ladders and carry people down. I would try and involve them, okay, in a respectful way. You might come to me and say, hey, Joe, we're going to be doing a drill on um, hose handling. I'd like you to, you, you're a phenomenal firefighter. I know your knees, knees are gone, but I'd like you to help out. Here's what I want you to do. And it might be, you're going to, you're going to counsel the company when they get to the door on controlling the door before you open it up and make entry. Or you're going to be at the second floor landing or the bottom of the first floor landing and, and counseling that kid how to push that line up uh, to the other member up on top, involving them, recognizing that they truly have skills and abilities. Uh, some of the other ones who maybe don't want to have the skills and ability or physically can't do it. And I, I will interject this little uh, uh, humor on myself. Um, when I teach in departments, like in Menden, and I'm over in a couple of others now, Blackstone is one of them that they use me on a regular basis. It's really funny because I forget my knees are shot. And I'm trying to do a drill, and I just can't not do it. I get on my knees, finish the execution of the drill. I swear to God, one or two of the guys will come over, up the hand to give me a helping hand off, off my knees. <laughs> and is it embarrassing? Meh. But it, my point is, 
we all can't do this. So you take a guy like that, maybe you involve him and not say, okay, Joe, your new job is you're going to hand out water. <laughs> what an insult. Involve them in accountability. Involve them, uh, if they're capable, is safety. Involve them as running the pumps. These, these old guys know how to run pumps. These kids today, they want this, okay? Okay, what's the length? 250 feet. How many gallons? 150 a minute. Okay, stand by. Click, 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 click. Okay, we'll pump it at, you know, one, 170 or whatever it might be, okay? Involve them in that. Make them, make them feel needed, not wanted, needed and appreciated. Right. Okay? And, and then if they don't want to do it from there, then the question has to become... Why? <laughs> Why are you here? Why are you here? Right. And right. if it's for the camaraderie and the social, absolutely, we'd love to have you. And you know what? The other part of this has to be you, you can't be a lieutenant or a captain for life. You can't. That's a company-level officer. If you can't lead your company, maybe there's another role. We don't want you to throw you out with the bathwater. It's another role for you. And let's let some of these guys who are ready, more than ready to step up, let's recognize them. Because those are the people you're going to lose. Excellent. Excellent. 20 years. I've been doing this 20 years, and I'm, I'm still a firefighter. And my, you know, my, my lieutenant's 90 years old. I'm picking <laughs> a high number so that no one could be mad at me. <laughs> it's demotivating for that, for that 40-year-old firefighter. So you're at FDIC this year again? Yes, sir. You'll yep. be doing your class. Uh, it's the one training as a way to reduce risk in the volunteer fire department. Yes. And if I could. Yep. Go ahead. That After you've gone to Chief Merrill's class at 1030, <laughs> my class is at 130. Perfect. So enough time to get a, a, a hot dog and a Coke and then come on over. Yeah. Excellent. And, yep. And then uh, I have my book is uh, will be on sale uh, at the... Um, at, at the fire engineering talk about your book that's the one we talked about earlier training yes. was that uh that's managing team? risk in, in the volunteer the fire service and it's all fire ground based ladies and gentlemen um the book retails for 39 dollars. some they usually have a special of some sort going on um people say that's a lot of money no it's not uh, I, I you know at the ballpark at fenway park beer is 15 bucks and a hot dog is 10 that's almost so you have two beers and a hot dog. You've paid for <laughs> There you go. There you go. There and, you go. Um, my point is we, it's, it's an affordable book. It is on, it will be on sale. The book is well worth reading it. I promise you, I promise you it will help you guaranteed. It will help you and it will open your eyes and make you think of things that you haven't thought about before. And if you're unable to attend FDIC, I'm sure you can find it online by just putting it in a Google search and it'll yep. pop up. You bet. Yeah. Or go to the FDIC uh, uh, books website, Fire Engineering Books. Mm -hmm. it's, it's there also. Um, excellent. I'm hoping mine will join it sooner than later. <laughs> yeah. But when it does, I hope they take all the volunteer books and put them together so we don't have to go searching for them. Ah, well, you you can tell them that. <laughs> That's a good hey, idea. <laughs> That's a good idea. Chief, if people wanted to get a hold of you, if they had some questions or wanted to reach out and have you do a program for them or help reinvent their training program, how can they get a hold of you? The easiest way is by my um by my email. And my email is the letter J as in Joe, 
N-E-D-D-E-R, J-N-E-D-D-E-R, at charter, C-H-A-R-T-E-R.net. Easiest, absolutely easiest way. Um, I, I don't like giving, when you contact me, I'll give you my phone number, okay? Because I like to do things right. uh, direct, okay? I I had a website, I took it down because it was costing too much money. And when you're, when you're uh, uh, semi-retired, you watch your dollars. Now, one thing, please keep in mind, if you email me, please tell me who you are in the first line. Please, because I, I get emails from Prime Prime telling me I need to click on this to give them my new credit card number, and I get stuff from Russia and China, and <laughs> every place else. So just, hi, Joe, my name is uh, 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 Tom Merrill. I'm I'm with such and such fire department. Uh, great podcast. Can you help me? I do go out and speak. I will talk to you on the phone uh, and, and help you in any way that I can. Okay. And please, if you come to FDIC, after you've attended Chief Merrill's class, poke over because I think you'll find the two of them are going to come together and dovetail really well. Oh, that's excellent. I really thank you for your time. And folks, we spent a lot of time talking about, again, training. Um, again, it's our third program this year, focusing on it. He, everything was uh, summed up very nicely, but, um, you know, I love what you asked right at the beginning, Chief. If I walked into your firehouse and asked people, you know, about their training program, what would they say? Understanding today that people are busier than ever before, single parents in firehouses, working parents in firehouses, a lot of demands of life being thrown at us, but training is still so vitally important. Because there's not so much extra time, we got to make sure our training programs get people educated, trained, and coming back for more. So they got to be punctual. They got to be safe. They got to be pertinent to what we're going to see. Uh, they got to be consistent with accepted safe practices. And they need to be fun because we want to have fun in the volunteer firehouse. I'm finishing up my program, Extinguishing Firehouse Fires. Is that hokey? That's the name I came up with. Chief Pinsky said, you know what? That's been used too much. Has it? I don't know. But I thought that was a good one. The subtitles, Improving Morale in the Volunteer Firehouse. And one of the keys is you got to let people have fun, understanding there's acceptable levels of behavior. But anyway, that plays yes. into training as well, right? It really does. And um, dovetailing a little bit into risk management, what risk management is, how to incorporate that into your training program. Understanding that risk is not just all fire and uh, emergency scene related. It's after the fire. It's proper rehab, decon, cancer awareness. We got to get to the scene. So we got to drive safely. We could go on and on and on. We covered a lot. And I think this is a really, really good topic. So Chief, I really appreciate your time that you came on and uh, making the time. And uh, now you can go get ready for the, ready for the big blizzard coming your way, right? And, and I want to add one thing. Go ahead, Chief. This was fun that's this awesome fun okay it was a fun show it really yeah, was, was a fun, fun. show you. and there's more we could talk about but i try to keep them an hour and a half or yeah. so and yeah. that's why you got to go to the chief's class for sure so um again chief started. thank you so much i highly encourage you to go to his class i attended it last year uh, if anyone wants to reach out to me, again, my contact information, tamerrill63 at aol.com. 
Uh, please give my professional volunteer fire department Facebook page a like. I'm on Instagram, Twitter. My website, theprofessionalvolunteerfiredepartment.com, is also available. A list of different programs that um, that I offer, as well as has links to all my articles and my podcast and things like that. Remember, please start making plans to attend that great fire conference, FDIC, in Indianapolis in April. My next show will be live from FDIC. I'm not sure yet of the date and time, but um, I am sure of my class date. Again, it's going to be Wednesday, April 26th at 1030 after the big opening session. And one last thing, folks, before I sign off, I just want to dedicate this show in memory of Buffalo firefighter Jason Arno, who suffered a uh, line of duty death. The Buffalo Fire Department suffered on March 1st of this year. Um, it hit home in so many ways. Uh, family friend of my niece and nephew. One of my firefighters in Snyder is on his crew and was assigned with him that day. And many other ways that this has affected us in the Buffalo community. And I know by extension in the firefighting community, but this one really hit close to home. So as I sign off tonight, even though this is the professional volunteer fire department, we're honoring career firefighter, Jason Arnold and the sacrifice he made on March 1st. And I'd like you just to keep him and his family and friends in your thoughts and prayers there's an old saying, as long as you speak their name, they're never forgotten. So please speak Jason Arnold's name, along with all the other brothers and sisters who have sacrificed in this profession of ours, and let it serve as a stark reminder of mixed in the day-to-day -day routine, the day-to-day -day BS, the day-to-day -day politics back in the firehouse, is the fact that we are doing a very dangerous, dangerous job. And as Jason Arno demonstrated, there's no guarantee you're going to come home. So train hard, train off, and train on. And thanks for tuning in this evening. And continue to stay safe. And remember that true professionalism is not defined by a paycheck. And your residents are owed professional service delivered by professional firefighters representing a professional organization. Take care, folks.